BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, January 6th changed the lives of many who stormed the Capitol, along with those around them who feared what was about to happen. We'll talk about the new podcast, Will Be Wild. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Um, I thought this was Girls Gone Wild. <laughs> this was the wrong thing. It was. Also with us is private <laughs> investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. All right, Kevin. So this is Thursday's episode of Crime Writers On. People know that, yes. (laughs) Do they? Maybe they're listening on Friday or Saturday. Uh, What is coming up on this coming Monday's episode? On our next episode, we're going to be talking about the podcast from HLN, Very Scary People. Really? Yeah. HLN. That's like Core TV, right? That's headline news is what H- oh. that's what HLN stands for. Yeah. Okay, so what is HLN like? Headline like what do they do there? They did that Delphi podcast that we didn't like. Hmm. This is the one with um, Donnie Wahlberg, I believe. Oh yeah. yeah, actually, somebody I know has been listening to this yeah. and loves it. Yeah, it's murder. <laughs> <laughs> but like, guys, did I tell you how I went to church last week? No. Yeah, I went to confession and I said to the priest. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I cannot stop thinking about bare naked ladies. Really? And the priest said, How long has it been since your last confession? And I said, It's been. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. Seriously. Good Lord. Kevin. How long have you been holding that one? <laughs> long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know no. somebody just spit their coffee out out there. No. I love it. Oh, they no. didn't. They didn't. People saw that coming. You telegraphed it. Fuck you. The three of you. You all <laughs> laughed. Kiss my ass. Kiss my ass. Kiss my ass. <laughs> By the way, Laura, Rebecca, don't you have an event that you want to plug? We do. And this is just something that came up very quickly and very recently. Otherwise, would have told you before. So author Elon Green, who wrote the amazing book Last Call, called me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I'm going to be doing a book event in New Hampshire. Are you interested in doing it with me and perhaps like asking me some questions at the bookstore I'm going to be doing it at? And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> and guess where that book event is going to be, Laura Bricker? Oh, my God. It's going to be in the most quaint AF town in the entire state of New Hampshire. That would be excellent. That's right. Mm. So if you want to join me and Laura Bricker, who I hope will be there, um, as least maybe. Of course she will. I will be there, you know, because I do love to organize things in my town. So since we did just find out about this, I'm going to see if we can do like a mini little meetup. Pop up crime writers on meetup. Yeah. Show up at the yeah. Elon Green last call book event where I will ask him some questions about his incredible true crime book. Last call. Maybe we'll see some other crime writers there. I don't know. We'll see who's available. Not this one. I've got three baseball games that day. Yeah, all with fifth if, graders. If it fuck. rains. If it all rains. rains. Yeah. yeah. There you go. I'll be there. You never know what crime writers might show up. I wasn't supposed to show up at the last event in Exeter, and I did. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So please come if you can. Where can people get information about that? 
Um, well, you know what? That is going to be on the Water Street Bookstore Facebook and Instagram and website. Um, Water Street Bookstore will be hosting the event and they will have updated information and you can check it out there. Yeah, you can also check out the Crime Writers on social media feeds. We'll put something there as well. And I cannot wait to meet Elon in person. We've talked on the phone. Of course, he also Twitter DM'd me to ask if I would do this event. But I cannot wait to meet him and I can't wait to meet any of you that show up for this event. So please come meet us in Exeter, New Hampshire. You can prep by listening to the Deep Dive episode. That's correct. That book. Yeah. Deep Dive episode on our Patreon. Deep so, Dive but you put off that he didn't ask you after you did his book on I the know. Deep Dive and gave it such a great recommendation? Have you ever listened to the Deep Dive, Kevin? I wouldn't ask me to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Have I listened? Who do you think puts all that crazy shit together? <laughs> I think he probably made the right choice. <laughs> I think I think Elon just knew you have a job and probably thought you were busy. Too. Yeah. Now, I, I if I'm around, I'll definitely go because I would I would love to um, hear him talk and and say hi. I think I strike people as somebody who's more available, perhaps, than you do. <laughs> I, I don't loose. think that's it. Wow, I, that just yeah, I, that did sound. It did sort of sound, sound yeah, right. That. Anyway, Rebecca, I'm I'm thrilled yeah. to help out, and I I really hope to meet some crime writers on fans who might be coming out, and some Elon Green fans, because by the way, he is more successful than all three of yeah, us. He is so, actually, yeah. well, anyway, I hope all of you who are listening, who are able to come out for that, do, and I look forward to seeing you if you're able to. All right, so Kevin, I really want to get tonight's review, but before we do, can I just say one quick, please, small caveat about it? Yeah. To any of our listeners who think that we're going to be talking about politics tonight, we're going to be talking about the future of our democracy, not politics. <laughs> so, so if, trigger alert. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. If you believe that we are going to be talking about who you voted for and and whether or not we care about that, we are not talking about your political feelings. We are talking about the future of our democracy, and that's what this podcast is about. That being said, I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip right now. Uh, he was like trying to grab me, so I was pushing him off me. Yeah. Fanon and I watch together as he's beaten on tape. The crowd is pressed so close around him, he can barely move his arms or legs. And that's when I'm being tased. You hear me screaming. The Capitol insurrection seemed to catch most of the country off guard, but many people believed January 6th would be a violent day in Washington. They included conspiracy theorists as well as security analysts, even one Texas teenager who tipped off the FBI after hearing about his father's plans to overturn the election. I just hear behind my wall my dad talking about the government and Nancy Pelosi and it's all mumbled and I'm just like, God, like this is just it's crazy. Like it's crazy talk. But who are these people who would take up arms against a nation they say they want to save? What's been the fallout for the insurrectionists, their families, and the officers wounded that day? And could the riot have been blunted or stopped altogether? In the days before the election, the replacement issued a memo to analysts. Do not send out reports about election-related violence as you normally would. The memo specifically warned they would be penalized for doing so. The hit podcast, Will Be Wild, is a production of Pineapple Street Studios, Wondery, and Amazon Music. Ilya Meritz and Andrea Bernstein from Trump, Inc. introduce us to some of the people who planned or tried to stop the insurrection. Part current affairs, part cautionary tale, the podcast warns that January 6th wasn't the end of the story. It was just a practice run. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about significant plot points from Will Be Wild. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Kevin, we have two journalists in this story who have done years of reporting on the Trump administration. They were previously focused on specifically the profit making of that administration while they were in the White House. They have now pivoted to this specific moment, January 6th, this insurrection, all the things around it. Now, it would have been very easy for this to be a political podcast, a them a uh, mm-hmm. podcast, a hit piece, a like one-sided look at this through a single lens thing. 
I do not think this is the tack that Ilya and Andrea took when making this. What do you think about the lens through which this was reported? I don't. I also don't think, by the way, it's both sidesism, which is to me the worst kind of journalism. I think it's very smart, very fact based. Uh, but what do you think about the lens through which this story is told? Yeah, I, I actually think they do a, a great job here. Um, right, it doesn't come off as a hit job, while it can still be critical of you know what happened. Uh, it doesn't have the lightness of a Dan Taberski piece, but it does treat everyone with the same kind of respect, which makes it really good. The hosts get a, a lot of should get a lot of credit for making an uncomfortable and a divisive story really an easy listen. Not a lot of people can pull that off well, and so you you know you really are hearing you know their roots in public radio WNYC, which which produced Trump Inc. Very smart, very high level very respectful and that makes it for a much more compelling story and their selection of the people to talk to I think is great. Toby, your first note to me included the word kaleidoscopic. That evokes to me a certain imagery. One of the things that makes me think of is the WBEZ podcast, the season of Motive that we recently reviewed where a story was told, you know, a very cohesive story through a bunch of lenses that sort of all flowed together very beautifully, which is sort of how I think of this show. What did you mean when you used the word kaleidoscopic in your first note to me about this show? Just what you said. Really? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I did. I mean, I think it is, you know, they, they, they have an issue and they sort of examine it from different angles. You know, you've got people in government and law enforcement who are keeping an eye on domestic extremism and what they did and the frustrations they had and, and basically not their personal failure, but the failure of systems to take it seriously. Uh, you then jump to, I think what's in some ways the meat of the series, which is episodes four and five, which I'm sure we'll talk about in, in greater depth, but taking a look at sort of the radicalization of one person and, and how that affects his family. And then sort of this this very interesting story between a sort of one of the high profile victims, a, a policeman who was tased and beaten, and then the guy who was caught for being involved in that assault. And I, and, I, and I kind of feel, I always think of slow burn when I see things mm-hmm. sort of like this, where mm-hmm. it's, you got a topic and you, you tell it by looking at different stories to sort of give you a, a fuller picture of what that topic's about. So, Laura, early in the series, we hear about the intelligence failures that happened here, right? We hear mm-hmm. about the chain where somebody gathering intelligence on the ground, we're able to look at all of the signal gathering, right? They hear about all of this intelligence coming in. They are hearing things they have never heard before, this coalescing of intelligence coming through all of these channels. They know what is going to happen. There is reporting up through the chain of command, through local offices, to, you know, the federal government. This is what's going to happen, what we hear. Where we think it's going to happen, like you have People at Panera, for instance, officials who do this kind of work and have been doing it forever and on their way home, thinking that they've done their due diligence on their way home to their family, saying, on the meeting with my boss, here's what we know and here's the information, thinking something is going to happen, right? Somebody is going to tell somebody and then things will be activated. And then, of course, we all know, having watched, we watched on TV, the things that were supposed to be activated were not activated. What did you think hearing that? Because seeing what we saw happen, knowing that we know that now that so many people knew, um, how did you feel when you heard this play out and you now know that so many people heard this intelligence and, and, and knew saw it coming, the train down the track? I thought my red lines, adding all that language, had not been accepted, had accidentally been deleted. I mean, something was wrong. It's just like the document was massively different. I called the White House. I called the National Security Council. I asked about this and I was told, no, your, your language was struck. It was it was kind of surprising that that you you hear these stories and it's it's like crazy it's like rage inducing and like maddening and like so frustrating to listen to this and know that people knew about this people had warning and that despite that we saw happen what happened but I also feel like it wouldn't have even mattered in a sense 
that all these people were trying to, you know, stop this from escalating to the point that it was going to based on the intelligence that that they received. Because if it went up the chain of command, there was this, you know, as we hear the Homeland Security people saying, like, they weren't even talking about policy at this point. Like, it would not have mattered how far up the chain of command it went, because I feel like any response and anything that could have been put into place to negate what happened would not have been actually authorized, Mm. if that makes sense. But I mean, I guess I was listening to it and I'm thinking like, it just reminds me of so much of the reporting that we've listened to that Leah Satilli has done. And when we're listening to like the Bundyville podcast, the second season, The Reckoning, and we're hearing from her, you know, and we're hearing how this has been organizing and like coalescing and growing and it's becoming something that's not just something that people are talking about. It's becoming something that's organized. And there are, you know, all these online message boards where people are connecting. And so we've been listening to podcasts about this with this excellent reporting for several years now. But now we're hearing the reporting behind like when this actually gets to the point where like the shit hits the fan and there are still people that know. So it's just it's it's really frustrating to hear that it wasn't taken seriously, but I don't think even if they had tried to raise the warning bell that anything would have happened differently. It's it's interesting because this particular guy, there's a reason they use this guy, is that he's not with Homeland Security. He's not with the feds. He's like a local Washington guy. He hears about this, but nobody else does, or nobody else at least has the thought, like, we need to do something on this day. I thought that that was a really interesting point. Yeah. And then, of course, we hear about the politicization of the report about terrorism that did happen at the federal level where the government knew and people who had this job at the federal level, Toby, were actually tasked with writing down and researching what is the biggest threat to our national security. And it is radicalization here in the homeland. And we hear from the man who wrote the report that said, quote, disgruntled veterans and others would be radicalized internally and join these militias and movements. And then that became politicized so much so that his entire unit was shut down and all of the law enforcement at the federal level then just was completely dismantled and focused on terrorism coming from Al-Qaeda and so forth. And anything that could have been done about this a decade ago or more just didn't happen. What did you think about that episode and sort of just the politics? I mean, this was a train coming down a track that people saw at every single level, and it was just ignored for so many stupid reasons. Right. Well, I think there's, you know, there's the people who do the analysis and there's the people who can put it into effect. And, you know, that's where the politics gets in between those two things, even to the point where sometimes they won't even let the analysis get out, right? So I think going through the whole background of this, I think, is sort of the hum of Fox News, right? And the influence they have, and if they can find something that they can object to, it tends to put the kibosh on it. So again, it's like when they talk about disgruntled veterans, I think that it might have also been the report that talked, I think, about like ultra right wing or like extreme conservatives or something. And that was equated with mainstream conservatism. And so that felt like it was attacking mainstream conservatives. And then later when we talked to uh, the, the cop Fanon, is that his last name? He testifies and gets, you know, he's got traumatic brain injury and he cries at his testimony, gets very emotional. And Laura Ingram is like making fun of him on the show. So I, you know, I think there's that sort of background theme. I don't think they address it head on, but again, it's, it's like they touch on it here and there and you, and you kind of understand the dynamic. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, so Kevin, should we head into our business section right now? It's going to be wild. <laughs> we'll be wild. Yeah, right now on Patreon, if you subscribe at patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media, you can hear the latest Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Toby is talking about the book, The Arsonist. Toby, just give us a sneak peek. What did you think of the book? The Arsonist is actually awesome. It's uh, by Chloe Hooper. I highly recommend it. There's uh, one day where there are a whole bunch of fires in Australia that burned a lot of, there's a lot of casualties burned a lot of acreage and one of them there was an arson maybe there were others but this is about this one particular arson and it's just it's written beautifully it, it just comes at it from a whole bunch of different angles and you know i can't recommend it enough it's, it's one of the sort of surprise best books i've read in quite a while also coming up is the latest edition of leave it to bricker mm. laura mm-hmm. you've been like teasing me with what the topic is tell me The topic is I get further confirmation about the seedy underbelly of some things that are happening in my little quaint AF town. Um, I don't think it's so quaint anymore. You've got the the, the sex rub-a-dub, rub-and-tug clinic. Everyone knows the best quaint towns have a dark seedy underbelly. They do. Yeah. So my friend Mary goes undercover on my behalf into the seedy underbelly and I will bring you the full report of what she found out when she turned left one night after having a few cocktails. She turned left? She of... turned left oh. and something happened. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm intrigued. Hmm. So if you want uh, that and nearly 275 wow. exclusive podcasts. Every week the number gets bigger. It's been kind of hovering at 275 for a while. <laughs> but I think, I actually think with Laura's, I think we, we put it over that. So Getting close to 300. So you've been saying like 250 for a while, but it's actually been like ticking up. And now you're saying 275. So to me, it just seems like a big jump. That's mm. marketing. Good marketing, Kevin. Nice job. You can get all that by going to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And uh, also, if you want to see like uh, photos of our pet of the week, yep. get some inside stuff behind the scenes stuff at Crime Writers On, you can get that free newsletter by going to crimewriterson.com and just putting your email address in there. And we promise we only sell them to reputable Nigerian princess. Oh, yes. That's how you get our free newsletter. It is awesome. So, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Poppy Houston and Tim Klingler. Bless you. And thus ends... And thus ends... The business business section. section. All right. I'm going to drop that music out right now. All right, so one thing that you guys touched on, I have I have listened ahead a little more in the series than you guys have, just FYI. And one thing our listeners should know, I think it wasn't signaled as well in the series, and a lot of these series that are now coming out on Amazon Music, I think that they should just be like clearer about it. A lot more of you have Amazon Music as an app than you think you do. And also Amazon Music is just a listening app with ads and stuff like Spotify. You can just go there and listen to stuff. And not, and I have to subscribe to it, even if it's not on iTunes or whatever, without having to like pay. Or you might have it without knowing you have it because you have Prime. Anyway, I'm a couple episodes ahead of you guys. I will just say the episode that is after the ones you guys have listened to is called "The War on Pineapple." It is about disinformation and how it works. It is the most cogent explanation of disinformation and how it works that I have ever heard explained in any media ever. And for people listening right now who haven't listened to any of this podcast, I would say episodes four, five, and six of this podcast are essential listening if you are American. Because of the disinformation episode that is the war on pineapple, 
how it works. The reason it's called The War on Pineapple, by the way, is not because Pineapple Street Media um, created this podcast. It's because at one point, people at the federal level who run election security stuff knew that there was going to be disinformation around elections. They were trying to create a model that they could coach local election officials to say, like, how do you teach people locally about disinformation? What's a divisive issue you could use? And they decided that pineapple on pizza would be a very divisive issue that you could use. And that was the example that they could use. So they how, weren't wrong. Yeah. How would you teach? That is a divisive issue. I love would pineapple you, on pizza. Oh, see? That's the problem. Yeah. So how would Ugh. how would a bad actor do that? They would create a bunch of social media accounts saying pineapple on pizza is amazing. And then there would be it was a cascading thing. It is so fucking well done. Everyone has to listen to it. Okay, so now let's go back to another one of the best podcast episodes I have heard in a very long time. I know I'm tipping my hand. Episode four of this podcast, which is about the Reffitt family. Jackson Reffitt, the teenage boy who turned in his own father to the FBI, gave them a tip before January 6th, and then he was arrested after January 6th. And he was bragging about how he saw this younger looking girl as a police officer shooting him with rubber bullets. And he was like, need a bigger gun than that lady. Like walked up to her and I don't know, scared her off or something, I don't know. Kevin, what did you think of Jackson Reffitt and what did you think of this episode of Will Be Wild? Well, Jackson Reffitt is my hero. I mean, imagine being in that position and having the courage to, you know, this wasn't like some kid who was like trying to get back at his dad. This is a, a young man who had legitimate concerns. They were legitimate. I mean, obviously he was dangerous. So I have a lot of admiration uh, and respect for Jackson. I'm a little worried about the, the family in general. Guy Reffitt apparently put a gun to his wife's head at one point. Guy wouldn't shoot me, but uh, he was really mad when all the obviously... Um, and I'm not scared, you know, I mean, I'm not even scared of God now. I dare him to try to shoot me. Um, but, I mean, he's even discharged a weapon next to my head. And uh, I'm not sure why he goes that far. I mean, because he's not going to hurt me. But She says, well, you know, we've talked about, like, I'm in power now because he's in jail and we're talking on the phone and he knows that stuff's not going to happen. And I kind of feel a little bit like it's classic. He's changed messaging on her part. That's not to be critical of her, but I do worry about hearing that. What is Guy going to do when he sees Jackson next? Now, he's going to be sentenced next month. He could get up to 20 years. But at whatever time it is, he's eventually going to come back and be reintegrated into society going to try to connect with his family. I just don't think that it's all going to be hunky-dory just because he's had this character-building experience of going to prison. Yeah, so, Laura, I had the same thought as Kevin. Guy Reffitt, if he, like, potentially is a domestic abuser, right? Like, he could kill his wife. That was the flag I kept hearing over and over and over again, and I understand yeah. all of the things that Ilya is trying to do in humanizing this family, and I think it's his access to this family, by the way, is freaking incredible journalism. This family is super interesting. The sister hearing about her brother turning her dad in on her shift at Hooters. I don't want to I don't want to dehumanize them by saying, quote, the tape is incredible. I don't like it when people in podcasting talk about that when they're talking about human beings. The journalism here is incredible. Guy Reffitt is a dangerous person who might potentially kill his family. Let's just be real about that. Mm-hmm. That being or said, yeah, or a cop or anyone. That just being that being said, there is this very interesting storyline with him where he has aligned, you know, with the three percenters, with these other before he went to the Capitol. But now that he's in prison, he's aligned with all these other insurrectionists who have gone there, who, as we learn mm-hmm. in the series, have all gone there for different reasons, including this trans woman who had her own journey there through the military, and Guy, who is somebody who was, according to his wife, not open to liberal views about LGBT people and, you know, people with different... They're now best friends in prison. Yeah. That being said, I still don't have a lot of hope for Guy and his, like, outlook in the future. What, what do you think about this episode? I'm just really curious because I, I just think this episode was so brilliant on so many levels. 
Yeah, I thought this was so interesting. And and I agree with Kevin. I was wondering, like, what is going to happen when this family reunites? And how is this all going to play out? Because it's not like Jackson was secretive about the fact that this is what happened. I mean, obviously, his sister hears his name, like, pretty soon after on the news. So the father knows what happened. But I thought it was so interesting, the part where his wife is talking about how he has become really close with this trans woman. And, you know, there's this sort of like, I can't believe they're housing the trans woman in the male, mm. oh, uh, you know, inhumane, portion right? of, and, and yes. And, and there is that going on. And then she's like talking about how he's sort of changed his outlook and, and like, he's even using the correct pronouns and he's actually understanding. And I think for me, what I took away from that was we had somebody that was so, strong in their opinions going into this to the point that they become radicalized and they go to this January 6th insurrection and their own son is afraid to the point that they tip off the FBI. And now that person has actually been able to come around to see something from somebody else's perspective that just didn't really jive with the portrait that we had of what led up to his escalation of behavior going to January 6th. So I just thought that was a really, really interesting detail. And I'm going to be very curious to see how this story plays out, just because it added, you know, some nuance to that character that we might not have previously had. You know, you know you're inclined to sort of lump people. Okay, well, these are the people that did this, and these are the people that did that, and like lump them into these like two camps. But when you hear a story like that, you're like, okay, there's more to this person than I might have initially thought. But Toby, this episode and the episode about the cop, right? I think the episode about the cop is so unbelievably affecting because one of the things that he says at the end is there are good people who do bad things, right? It does not negate the bad things. And there's a, there is a um, spectrum of bad things. Jackson's father, Guy, before he did the bad thing of the insurrection... He was clearly also a domestic abuser. I mean, this is, I mean, keep in mind, I'm coming at this as somebody who was like listening like to an escalating pattern of behavior. Jackson did not turn him in after the insurrection. Jackson tipped off the FBI before the insurrection. He was scary. Jackson had been abused by his dad before the insurrection. He'd seen his mother abused by his dad before the insurrection. You can see the, a whole pattern of behavior there beforehand, right? There's a whole sort of escalating thing there. There's a whole bunch of language that gets used around all of these people. And Guy's wife really gets pulled into this, into this movement that builds around these people who get imprisoned after the insurrection when they're now being called basically political prisoners. And it plays into this. And one of the brilliant things about this podcast is how it sort of marries all these themes about language around this and how things sort of get twisted. And I know that I'm saying like a lot of things that like if you haven't listened to the show probably don't make sense, but your notes sort of reflect all of the feelings that I had when I was hearing these episodes and how it all sort of like bubbles together, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I one thing that kind of strikes me is that, you know, there's this self-referral within this group to themselves as patriots and I think just using that term is kind of halfway to convincing yourself that anything you do is patriotic and is pro-America and therefore people who are stopping you are, you know, anti-patriotic and anti-America. And, you know, and I think it also feeds into this idea where Guy's wife, you know, comes out and says that, you know, they're being persecuted for their political beliefs you know, which isn't what's happening, right? The people who've been arrested have been arrested for specific criminal acts, yeah. not for political thought. So it's not as though this movement is, you know, alone in sort of having a persecution complex and trying to conflate, you know, lawbreaking with being persecuted because of your beliefs. I mean, I think that that's a pretty typical thing. But in this particular case, I think when you add that to trying to prevent the counting of electoral votes and, you know, interfering with the course of the election, you know, I think I think it becomes more potent. And, and the thought that you are upholding the thing that you are actually attacking, I, I think they managed to rationalize it through semantics quite a bit. Yeah. And, I, and I thought that was kind of interesting. 
upholding the thing you were actually attacking. Toby said it perfectly just now, mm-hmm. right? And this yeah. is this is the thing that like you said this to me, Kevin, in one of your notes. You said like threat experts inside the government they predicted what the pandemic would do to extremism. This is the thing, like the heightening of the upholding of institutions, right? And the attacking of institutions. Mm-hmm. There are people in the government who knew what the pandemic would do to that. What did you learn there when you when you heard that? Oh, I thought that that was really interesting because, you know, I was kind of wondering, like, why did all of this get supercharged with jet fuel over the last, not the last four years leading up to January 6th, but like the last two. And it certainly was the isolation of the pandemic that feeds on the person who is disgruntled and easily led and all the all the other stuff there. This is just pouring gasoline on those little fires. Toby said something and it kind of something popped into my head where he says, you know, we're being persecuted for our political beliefs. It reminds me of a very famous person who said, love will make you do crazy things. It's not love that made you slap that guy, yeah. right? It's that maybe that be was the thing that fueled you getting into trouble, but you're being held accountable for your actions. And if you're going to say like I back the cops except for when they're trying to prevent me from going into this building and I'll taser them, or I believe in our uh, the constitution until I try to do something that's unconstitutional. You know, it's just it's too convenient. And look it's not pedantic to be talking about these things. It's We've had a couple of podcasts all the way from uh, Bundyville to the Improvement Association, which just shows that there is a destabilization of our modern democracy, and that is unsettling to me and I'm sure to a lot of other people. And so it is a very important issue. And in this podcast, they put out stuff that is very smart And they also do it in a very even-handedly way and in a way that brings respect to all of the people, even the former Mrs. Idaho. Okay. Like, I I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about her, but that's a credit to the way they write it. They are not making us choose us. We decide for ourselves what we think about Mrs. Idaho. Just wait. Just wait? So I will say, this podcast goes to a place that I've been thinking about for a long time. Okay. Which is what happens now? All of these local election officials have now quit. Yeah. And now all these people have come in who believe that elections have been stolen. Mm-hmm. What happens now? Right? So you have people who are very optimistic in the government and they say, you know, there's always going to be someone who stands up for us. I mean, we heard Mrs. Idaho ran for office and she won. Elia Meritz asks her in the podcast, why do you believe that you won, but you don't believe Joe Biden won? I know you had a lot of questions about the 2020 election. Are you confident in your own election, like that that the election where you were elected was conducted fairly and properly? Yeah, I absolutely do. I met with the Canyon County Commissioner prior to, that's our county commissioner, and he explained to me the the process of how the elections work and the programs used, and he kind of went through that course with me. And I absolutely think Idaho does a really good job at, you know, making sure that their elections are, are fair. Generally, with elections in the states, like, do you think our elections are run fairly? Do you think Americans should have confidence in in our elections? In the aggregate, I think yes. But of course, there's always going to be exceptions. Nothing's ever going to be perfect in elections. I mean, this has been going on for a long time. And, you know, I I think that in the aggregate, I think the American people should should feel safe and that our elections are are fair, but significantly less <laughs> with this last election and Again, I mean, I think that there's still a lot that needs to come out. So it'll be interesting to see the midterms happen. I'm just going to leave it there and just tell you, you really need to keep listening to this podcast. I just want to say, Miss Idaho, I mean, am I the only one who was like, what the fuck? Oh, it was so great. I was going to bring my kids. I still would have brought my yeah, kids. Yeah, one like, regret. What planet are you living on? One regret is not bringing her kids so she could, they could 
climb up that scaffolding yeah. and also maybe get tased. I don't know. I don't know. I was just like, what the fuck? I mean, I, I just I just want to touch on one thing because Toby talked about it, the tearing down the thing that you're claiming to uphold. The episode where this man, Rodriguez, is indoctrinated. I mean, what this whole concept here of being indoctrinated into something where then you are then tearing down a democracy. Do you all feel the same existential dread I do listening to this podcast or these in, these interrogations of this of this guy Rodriguez as he's talking about? I was just there. I was just trying to help. I felt, save America. I felt called because, as I'm sure you all did, and as as the cop who he tried to kill did, I felt like he felt remorse. That being said, he tried to kill a Capitol Police officer in service of tearing down our democracy on January 6th, right? Yeah, yeah. We're fucked. We are fucked. We are. And I think there's a line in the, like, description of this podcast that just, like, when I was reading about the podcast, it really stuck out to me. And it kind of goes with, it was like, January 6th wasn't the end of the story. January 6th was just a practice yeah. run. And that's exactly what you're saying. It's an A-B test. Yes. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out Will Be Wild? It's a production from Pineapple Street Studios, a collaboration with Wondery and Amazon Music. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Should people check out Will Be Wild? Absolutely. This is a big thumbs up for me. This was very well reported. It was told in a way that let all of the voices on both sides of this situation speak. And it did not inflame the story in the way that it was told. But it was still a terrifying story to listen to when you realize the totality of what's going on with democracy right now. And I just thought it was really well done. Uh, had people that were involved in law enforcement, people involved in government, people that decided they were going to go take part in this. And I thought the story of there was, you know, family that was involved and we hear from multiple members of the family that were impacted by this, that all had differing viewpoints was a really strong portion of this and really makes it worth listening to. And, and my household, you know, led to a really interesting discussion on the car ride to school with my son this week. I was like, what would you have done what this kid did? And he said, absolutely. <laughs> so, I drop a dime um, on your ass, mom. I know. So watch out. I better watch my back. <laughs> anyway. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for We'll Be Wild? Yeah, I think this is actually pretty essential listening. You know, it's it's one of the big stories of our time. I think they take a really interesting and smart look at it. Uh, it's not going to make you feel a whole lot better about things. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really a story about how easy it was for systems that should have caught things to fail and about how people kind of slip into the beliefs that would allow them to do this, some in a very sort of forceful, strong way. Others seem to kind of fall into it, but the effect is the same. So, yeah, I, I thought this was extremely well done. I think it's an important topic. So uh, it's a big thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. I'm also a thumbs up. There are about, I think, three other podcasts that I've already listened to about January 6th. And, you know, so I'm like, oh, well, what am I going to get this time? It's, it's different because of the perspectives from which they're told of the uh, the boots on the ground and from the people around them. It's a little bit like 912, the Dan Taberski podcast about 911. And although it doesn't have the same distance because this is still really fresh. It has some of the same kind of storytelling 
Uh, it's an important story uh, to listen to. And, you know, the host here, they did a podcast called Trump Inc. And they thought that in January 2021 that a chapter was closing and that they could go move on to something completely different. And instead, this happened and it just opened a whole new chapter for them. They got pulled back in like like Michael Corleone in uh, Godfather 3. They pulled him back in. Thumbs up. So I'm going to say it right now. What is it? Uh, May? It's been. Yeah. This podcast is going to be in my top 10 list this year. High, hands down. Unless unless like Dan Dabersky puts out 10 podcasts more this year, this yeah. podcast is going to be on my top 10 list this year. This podcast is outstanding. One of the things that I love about it is that I hate both sides journalism so much and this podcast does the very best of what journalism should do which is including the voices of people who are on i'm just gonna say it the wrong side of this story there are people in this podcast who are literally trying to dismantle our democracy they are trying to take apart the institutions that would make it possible to do this journalism. But they are they are in here and the journalists who are doing it are making it possible for them to speak about it in a way that is them telling their truth. But they're not doing it in such a way that is like, so this has equal weight to also democracy being a thing, which is just that's just bad journalism. And that is the kind of journalism that has led us to the point that allowed us to get to a point where people could storm the Capitol. Right. I just think this thing is just so well put together. And just like we talked about in Motive season three a few weeks ago, one of the things that's brilliant about this show is that each episode just builds so that the th next thing that you're going to listen to is like you have the perfect foundation to understand it and hear it and be prepped for it. And God damn it, this thing is so entertaining. Like, if I tell you I don't want to listen to another thing at all about January 6th, like, I did not want to listen to this at all. I am so entertained by this. I cannot wait to listen to the next episode. I absolutely am in love with this podcast. I cannot wait to listen to the next episode of Will Be Wild. I am heartbroken that this series is as short as it is. For me, it could be 100 episodes long, and it wouldn't be long enough. Huge thumbs up for me for Will Be Wild. So that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat of the week this week, and it comes from our Irish friend, Sheets Darcy. Wow. This cat of the week has everything. So Michael Collins, feral cat of the week. Michael Collins is a feral cat that His lives name's in Michael Collins. Oh my God. Oh, just He's wait. a rebel. He comes to Keep it going. Uh, yes. He comes to visit every day, and she loves him dearly. Now, he got attacked by another feral cat in the neighborhood. From the SAS. Had this, dis and I'll show, the picture is quite horrific. Like, had this big, like, gouge on the side of his head. Like, this huge Those thing. Those Protestant so cats, they're always getting in our way. We'll show them now. Speaking of both sides, journalism. <laughs> so, anyway, um, she had to borrow a trap from the local cat rescue in Galway, and had to use the expensive tuna to get him in the trap. Tuna. He wouldn't eat the cheap kind. One of my favorite things about the show is Toby's face during Cat of the Week, by the way. <laughs> the vet was a whole experience because he's an intact feral tomcat and he peed all over her seat like a demon. At the same time, what do you expect? I'll pee where I want to pee. So the best part of this is that after this, Thanks to his trip to the, the vet, all the feral cats got a bunch of free food. Oh. Um, and the here's, here's a little more. Mm. The good tuna. Here's uh, a little more. I have to mention that nearly all, all the people involved in this are women. So go with Cat Rescue. Olivia was the woman who gave me the trap. Ruth was the absolute just rock star vet who took him in, kept him overnight. She was exhausted. It was a really warm Saturday. And Sarah is my best friend who told me how to get feral cappies out of the car seat, which I did <laughs> successfully. So overall, there's a coven that are protecting this feral cat colony. And they're the, the, the healthiest looking individual cats I've ever seen. They're just loving it. So Michael Collins saved day, kept all the women safe. Also, and this is hilarious, yesterday there was a patch of sun 
and he was warm in his shaved bum. It was so funny. This is the Laura Bricker of Ireland. This is oh Laura God. Bricker of Ireland. You need to go to Ireland and meet this person. We Laura O'Bricker. We need to have a pop-up CWO event at this woman's house. Pronto. Oh, I'm going to, because this is the woman that entertained our family friend when she went over there to Ireland, and they were sending me like all of these videos and like recordings like this when they were in pubs. Nice. So wow. I am definitely going to Ireland and I will go to see Michael Collins. The oh cat. my God. All right, Laura Bricker, if other Irish people want to send us, here's a hard man, their cats of the week. And then also invite <laughs> us to stay at their wonderful Irish homes to entertain us. Like, Maybe me and Kevin and Toby also. Uh, how can they find you on Twitter to invite us to uh, be entertained by them in Ireland? They can find me at Lara Bricker, and I will go see all the feral cats in Ireland as long as Rebecca agrees to go pat the Yeah, cats I mean, if there's some Aer Lingus tickets thrown in, I'm 100% <laughs> in. Listen, I just went to Disney. I have no money left. Uh, Toby Ball, what about you? How can you be found on Twitter so that you can also accept your free invitation and Aer Lingus tickets to get to Ireland? At Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn. I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On and join our group at Crime Writers On. And on Facebook, please, our community there is amazing. Just go to our page, hit join the group. It's incredible. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the Crime Writers On After Show, Married with Podcast, Lara Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredible Olivia Burdett, who did heavy lifting this week, as I am very tired. Nice job, Olivia. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where we would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids. Mm. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. And it's Laura Bricker. Hello. Hi. And the mute button isn't switched on. No, it's not switched on. I was just texting with Anne so that you and Anne and Rolf can have your big love swap love fest on June 4th. Wait, what is this? Love fest? <laughs> what was it? The open marriage conversation. So, Toby, I don't know what we just walked into. This might be All really right. great for me or really bad. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well. you might get chocolate out of the deal. I don't know. <laughs> is chocolate code for something? <laughs> Partners in Crime Media Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico It's and, not or See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.